Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter number 20. John number 20. And we're going to start down in verse uh, number 1. We're almost done our series in John, uh, and I hope it's uh, helped you grow closer to the Lord and to the truth. Uh, that is the most important thing is the truth, to know it and then to proclaim it. John chapter 20 and verse number 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. She runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together. The other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. And he stooped down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, seeth the linen cloths lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And the disciples went away again unto their own home. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for another time that you've given to us. And Lord, as we look at your scripture this morning, the importance of your resurrection. Lord, we're so thankful. We're close to a season where we celebrate your coming uh, at Christmas time. And it, all you came for this purpose, to rise from the dead, to die for our sins, to be resurrected, and provide salvation for all mankind. We're so grateful for that. Lord, I pray that we would glean some truths and be reminded once again of your great love. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. The ancient Egyptians were famously known for their mummification. Recently, in one of my podcasts, I talked about Thumas III. He came to the throne of Egypt a long time ago, shall we say, 1476 BC, long time ago. And he actually reigned in uh, Egypt for 55 years or so, give or take. Uh, a number of those years, he was a co-reigner with his stepmother. But the last 33 years, uh, he was the uh, top dog, shall we say. He was Pharaoh alone. Thumas III fought numerous campaigns uh, and was responsible to see Egypt extend to uh, limits, boundary limits that they've never seen before, to the furthest limits. Uh, he's known as the Napoleon of Egypt. That's a significant name. He, he was a military, uh, you know, well-led army, and he had great tactics and strategies and things. Uh, the Egyptians mummified important people. They didn't mummify everybody. They mummified important people, and Thumas was definitely one of those. Uh, in 1898, he was found, his tomb, and mummification body was found in the Valley of Kings. Uh, and he had long been passed, obviously, in 1898. Uh, but they removed his body, and over the years, they've been able to see from the great mummification work they did different things, even on his skin. They were able to take that mummification off and saw on his skin uh, scars, numerous scars, many scars. Uh, and the researchers said that the scarring looked like that of someone who'd been affected by boils. Well, that coincides with the Word of God and the plagues that affected Egypt. 
And as I thought about the, the tomb and the, uh, the mummified remains of Thumas III, I thought of another grave. It was a grave that was opened not by friends and family or by grave robbers that did afflict the tomb of Thumas, but by the will of God. That's how that tomb was opened. In that grave, there was one whose clothes remained. There's no body. Thumas's body was found, or the remains, and then the cloths that were wrapped around it, they remained. They were found by archaeologists. There was no body found in the tomb of Christ because he's alive. He rose from the dead. He walked out of the tomb. All that remained in that tomb is the grave clothes that we just seen mentioned here. And there's some great principles, some great truths for us from those grave clothes. Verses 5 to 7, I already read them for you. I talked about how uh, the disciples came in and entered uh, the tomb, the looking. And within that looking, they found a peaceful message. Back in John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42, which is just the previous verses to what I just read, uh, Jesus' body was t- removed from the cross, and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had taken the body of Christ, prepared it for a very quick burial, and placed it in the new tomb, borrowed tomb of Joseph, that belonged to Joseph. After Joseph and Nicodemus had placed the body of Christ in that tomb, the Jewish leaders asked Pilate to seal the tomb and place a guard of Roman soldiers at the tomb to prevent the disciples from stealing the body of Christ. That's found in Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 to 66. The Bible tells us that early on that Sunday morning, some strange things began to occur at the garden tomb. Matthew 28, 1, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher, behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was as lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of the him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The supernatural event happened. The stone that was used to seal up the tomb to prevent the body be taken, to prevent anything to happen to him, was removed by the hand of God, by the angel uh, work, and out came the Lord. This was not done by the disciples, as some critics believe. You know, the disciples were off hiding, lest they too be arrested, and they feared crucifixion. John 20, verse 19 says, And then the same day at the evening were the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples uh, were assembled for fear of the Jews. Now, this, they didn't have nothing to do with the Lord being removed. They didn't take his body. Now, when Mary finds the tomb in the condition she did, that the door is open and the Lord was not there, she runs to tell the disciples. She runs back and tells them. Uh, and, and so, uh, verse number four, we says, so they ran both together. That's Peter and John. John's name is not mentioned here, just the disciple who, you know, who loved the Lord, uh, but that's who it was. They went running. Surely Mary had gotten this wrong. There's no way. Uh, there was some mistake. That, you know, but when they arrive at the scene, the doors opened. They came first to the sepulcher, and he stooped down, looking in, saw the linen cloths lying, yet went he not in. But Peter, uh, this personality definitely comes through. He goes charging in. he got to see. The tomb is empty. As they sat or stood there looking at those grave clothes, 
and the Lord was not there. What about a picture? You know, you know, the napkin lying off by itself there in verse number 7. After the news of the resurrection became public knowledge, the Jewish leadership, the religious leadership who had uh, you know, tried the Lord and things demanding his crucifixion, they tried to uh, concoct some stories uh, about this Lord and what happened to him. But they're all crazy lies. That doesn't make any sense. If it was the disciples, as they try to make it out and you know, try to hide the truth, if it was the disciples that removed the body of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> how did they remove the body without disturbing the wrapping, the, the, what, the burial clothes? And why would they even attempt to be orderly with it? They would have just taken the Lord and moved on as quickly as possible. But they all fled away that night. As I already mentioned, they were hiding in an upper room in John chapter 20. And Mark 14, 50 said, for, uh, and they all forsook and fled. Now there's been suggestions it was grave robbers that had come and removed the body. Why would they do that? So I, I mentioned earlier Thumas III. <clears throat> Thumas III was found in 1898 by archaeologists, but his tomb had been found much earlier by grave robbers. The Egyptians had a series of beliefs that they would uh, gather their jewels, their most precious things, their gold, and these things would travel with them in the afterlife, and that's why they would have to have these huge tombs, because they would pile in the wealth to bring with them into the afterlife. That's why the grave robbers robbed Thumas as the third's tomb. They wanted his earthly possessions, and they never took his body. The body's not worth anything. And Jesus had nothing. Jesus didn't believe as the Egyptians that he would take things from this life into the afterlife. And of course it's not great robbers. You know, th these, these uh, individuals are not thinking straight. And if it was the Jewish leaders, there's been some who said the Jewish leaders done it. Well, if they took the body, fear of what the disciples might do with his corpse, or the Romans for that matter, why would they remove the wrappings? Why would they leave the napkin? In fact, if they did that, they would simply produce the corpse with, when the disciples would begin to preach and the resurrection, Christianity would dissolve because resurrection is a foundational truth of Christianity. Listen, the only logical conclusion to this matter of the tomb and the sense of order and calm is that Jesus had merely passed through his grave clothes and the napkin lying by itself was a scene of peace. He is in control. Isn't that something that our world needs to hear right now, is peace? And they can have peace in Jesus Christ and him alone. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. And as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now that, that, that verse needs to be claimed loud and long in our world today. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in Jesus. So it's a peaceful message. And it's a dynamic message. It's got power. I mean, that empty grave clothes preaches, screams a message of power. I mean, it is amazing. It's a vivid story of the resurrected Lord. These garments are lying where they are, proclaiming to the world that Jesus Christ had claimed, what he claimed is exactly who he is. He is the Son of God. And remember, just three days, just over three days before, the disciples had watched as they entered into the garden, 
uh, of Gethsemane and, and see Judas appear up here with a horde of uh, soldiers and men who would come and take Jesus and to arrest him. They would see that happen, see Judas betray him. <clears throat> they would flee the scene. Jesus was tried. He was convicted and crucified. That, that's what had taken place. Now they had tangible proof that he was alive and he was well. The fact that Jesus lives gives power to his promise. It validates him to, as he claimed to be the only way to God. Uh, John fourteen six. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's powerful. It gives hope to those who would come to him for salvation. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make his intercession for them. He gives confidence to those who are lost in sin. I can come to Jesus he is resurrected. He is Lord. It tells them they, they can run to the Lord Jesus and they'll find a friend in him. They'll find one in him that loves them. It's a powerful message, a dynamic message, because it tells that the Father accepted the de death of Jesus Christ as the payment uh, for all sin, the sin debt that man has. In the New Testament, it tells us some 35 times that Jesus was raised up from the dead by God the Father. If Jesus had been another man, he'd be still in the grave. He would have rotted. The body rots. It decomposes, right? Dust to dust. But because he was a sinless son of God, it's not possible that death could hold him. Acts 2.24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Death is not powerful enough to hold the son of God. And because he died a sinless death on the cross, God accepted his sacrifice in the place of ourselves and gives us the promise that we too shall rise from the dead. 2 Corinthians 4.14, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Hey, that's the message, that's the power of the grave clothes. He arose. It's a pretty compelling message. It's a compelling message. You know, so we saw in uh, that they ran together, and he, that's uh, John, he stooped down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying. Yet went he not in. Then come the Simon Peter following, and went in to the sepulcher, and seeth the linen cloth lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. So Peter and John show up. They're there at, at the sepulcher. They're at the tomb. And, and they're observing. They're looking around at the scene, right? What is going on? And we see the word saw, seeth, and saw numerous times, three times. And each time they have a little variance of differences. I mean, obviously it all involves vision. They saw something. But the first time we see that in verse number 5, uh, he takes a glimpse, okay? Uh, he saw the linen cloths. That means to take a glimpse of something. It's brief. It's fleeting. So I was thinking about this week. It's kind of like this. So uh, you're driving off to Walmart to get the essentials this week. The wife has given you the uh, list, you know, get the buttermilk and whatever, the meat. I don't know what else she gave you for a list. 
and uh, you're driving through your neighborhood to go to Walmart. And you saw the Christmas lights around you as you went. Now, if your wife was to ask you when you got back if you saw Christmas lights, you'd say, yes, I saw Christmas lights. But you wouldn't be able to give her any kind of description because it was fleeting. You took a glance, and I'm glad you did. You got there safe to Walmart and back. Okay, good job. Good job. So the idea is you just look real quick. This is what happened here with John. He took a glance. He looked in. Grave clothes are still there. And then we see seeth uh, in verse 6. This means to uh, scrutinize. It carries the idea of um, trying to, you know, you're, you're keen to catch all the facts. It, it brings to mind to me like the uh, police investigator. Uh, now, if my wife was ever a police officer, she would be an investigator. Okay, she, she's looking for the facts. She's, she's analyzing. She's very analytical compared to me. I would never be an investigator, all right? And uh, she's, I'll give you an example. She's always looking through receipts to make sure everything is spot on. There's been times when uh, she's in the car, we haven't left, wherever it is, and she's reading over that receipt. You know, she's analyzing. You know, I can see the digits going ding, 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 in her head. And then she says, they overcharged me. I'm going back in. I'm like, well done. You go show them, love. You get that money. But how dare they take our money? And she goes in and gets it back. And then on occasion, she's gone back and said, you've undercharged me. I need to pay more. At those times, I'm pretty much weeping, saying, no, no, let's go buy some ice cream for the kids. Let's not worry about that. You know, the idea is that just seeing what the facts are, checking it all out. And that's what Peter was doing here. He was analyzing. He was scrutinizing the, the situation and seeing what's, what's his hair. What, what's, what's all this all mean? The grave clothes, the napkin, what, what, what's happened? I'm trying to analyze everything. And then we see uh, the word saw in verse 8, and, and we see there that he believed. And that idea there means to look with understanding. It carries the idea of grasping what you see. I can still remember the day that uh, I, accept, I got my acceptance letter from Faithway Baptist College. And uh, where I lived in Newfoundland, we didn't have the home delivery mail. We, you know, you had to walk to the community mailbox. I guess a lot of us do that now. And um, I remember it was a bit of a walk uh, to get there. And I remember walking up there, and I remember taking out that letter and uh, opening it up. And I was like, wow, I got in. Did they know what they're getting? But anyways, uh, I got in. And... and as I was reading that, I was understanding that because of this, some things would change in my life. I was going to be leaving Newfoundland. I would be moving away. I need to I change some of my views, too, of uh, I need to work more. I need to save more money. I just, you know, it's going to cost me something. When John took the time to take a look, closer look, he examined, it's almost like a light bulb moment. He understood what was happened, what had happened. He was risen. He said he would. He is risen. Now, if sinners look at the empty tomb, a sinner looked at the empty tomb, he can come up with dozens of reasons why not to believe it, why it's not true. And, you know, something in life that I've noticed, a lot of times giving an excuse is a lot easier than handling the truth. After all, when men die, they're gone. That's, that's one excuse people come up with. Oh, well, we're just done. And we're done. They don't get up. We just stay there. We, we return to what we came from. And the reality was with men, 
We can't get out of our grave clothes. We're not possible to do that. You know, just think about Lazarus. When he was called from, uh, from the dead, you know, the Lord resurrected him, he was still bound by that stuff. John eleven forty four said, And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said, Then loose him, let him go. So the same grave clothes, similar picture, you know, so Lazarus from him come out. The Lord passed through those grave clothes, and that napkin that was about Lazarus' face, it was neatly put aside in, in the tomb of the Lord. When an honest heart takes the time to scrutinize and to examine the evidence, they'll come to the same place that John came to. The resurrection is real. It's absolutely true. There's no other logical explanation. You know, just take the time. For you are watching, have you taken the time to examine the evidence? And if you have, what's your excuse of not trusting Jesus Christ as Savior? The Jews still believe to this day that the disciples of Jesus took his body away. If they did, which I do not believe they did, I believe the Lord rose, but if they did, would someone please explain to me why every one of the disciples, exception of John, now John did suffer for the gospel's sake in Patmos, it was not a nice place, but every other one was martyred for preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, uh, on Saturday mornings, uh, when I have been doing uh, Facebook devotions, me and Pastor Matt split them up and things, but when I do them, I've been going through the disciples. And I really enjoyed the study, learning. Uh, I mean, obviously, I can't, uh, I don't relay everything I've read about these men uh, during the week in a 15-minute devotional time, uh, but I've learned so much and understood them so much better. And these men died for the sake of the gospel. They didn't die for a lie. Who dies for a lie? Now, if someone could be fooled to believe a lie is true and they could die for it, fair enough, that could happen. But these men knew the truth. They handled the truth. They were with the truth. And they died for the truth. They died for Jesus Christ. You know, they, they lived the life uh, desiring uh, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, if it was a lie... They would have said so, to save their own skins as such. However, they all, without exception, went to their graves, again with John, um, went to their graves in martyrdom in Jerusalem, Greece, Turkey, Armenia, India, Europe, and other places. Some of them, we don't even know where they died. All proclaiming the fact of a risen Lord. That speaks volumes of the truth. And the reality is, this message is a personal message. As this chapter unfolds, I'm not going to read all chapter 20. I would encourage you to do that. But as this chapter unfolds, each person who's confronted with the empty tomb is forced to make a decision. So we saw in verse 8, he believed, John believed. For Peter, the truth came a little bit more slowly, but he obviously did. Mary Magdalene finds her heart is still gripped with fear and grief and things. And verses 11 to 17, the Lord convinces her and she believes. The other disciples are unsure of what had taken place, uh, and the Lord appeared to them in verses 19 to 23 of this chapter. Thomas was grief-stricken like the other ones. He had decided to be alone. He didn't want to be with them. Uh, I, I looked at him a few weeks ago in our Facebook devotion, and just his personality, he probably didn't want to hear the other guys. He wanted to be by himself. 
And uh, he refused. He was, he was heartbroken. The Lord appears and confronts his doubts, and he believes and serves Jesus Christ. You know, when you hear the message, when you hear this message of the resurrection, the gospel, there's only one or two choices you're going to make. You're going to accept it, or you're going to reject it. That's the only two possible ways of going. You could say, well, I'll decide later. Well, in essence, you're saying I'm rejecting it right now. You may come back later, sure, but you're making a decision. Am I going to accept it or am I going to reject it? You know, to, to their credit, all these men responded by accepting Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, and they were used in a great way uh, to spread Christianity throughout the world. The question is, how about you? Have you accepted? Have you accepted the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood, paid for your sins and for mine, rose again from the dead three days later in a literal, physical body. Unfortunately, there's people out there writing books and trying to influence Christians to say that this was a symbolic thing, this is not what you really think. Listen, he rose physically from the dead. He lives right now. He's on the right hand of the Father, intercession for you and for me as believers and for all who would come. The Bible has something different to say. It's not symbolic, folks. John, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That verse does not indicate that it's symbolic. It happened. It's true. It's real. You know, if we remove the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the doctrines of Christianity, Christianity falters. It's no different than any other man-made religion in this world. Jesus Christ arose. Hey, we're celebrating his birth in just a few weeks. And he came to do exactly what we read about in John chapter 20. I dare say there's no other suit of grave clothes in history that has preached such a glorious, marvelous message as the grave clothes of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that he lives this morning. He's alive. And he's left us indisputable evidence in his tomb. He lives because he's not there. He lives. The question is, is his resurrection real in your heart this morning? Have you experienced the power of his resurrection? Have you accepted him as your Lord and Savior? You see, a risen Savior has the power to radically affect all who come to him by faith. That's what Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, Philippians 3.10. Is that power active in your life this morning? Have you made the choice for Christ? Have you believed in him and him alone? Dear Jesus, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the record that we have read and looked at just for a little while here this morning. Lord, you are alive. You have defeated hell, death, and the grave. Lord, help us to accept that message. As believers, we have made that choice. We have believed that you have rose from the dead, that you live now. You are our Savior. Lord, help us as believers to 
lift up your name to glorify you for all you've done and all you said and how you lead and how you energize us and give us the power uh, to live our lives. Enable us to live by faith. And Lord, I pray it be any who watch this that have not made that choice for Christ, have not examined the evidence. Lord, allow today be the day they do and that they as it says in Romans, trust that you have indeed risen from the dead. Lord, I pray you be moving in hearts as only you can do. Thank you for your truth. And Lord, I pray you help us to be a testimony of that truth in these days. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.